Hello and welcome to a really fun and unique episode of the Influencer Podcast. Today I am sharing my home birth story. Now, I don't tend to share a ton of my personal life on this podcast. After all, we tend to talk a lot of business, a lot of strategy, and a lot of marketing. However, I do feel that it is important to really show a 360 view of your life when you are trying to connect with influence and impact. And I'm excited to do some of that with you today by sharing with you for the very first time my home birth story. Yes, I gave birth to my daughter all naturally at home. And I want to share with you why I chose to do this, how the process was, if I would ever do it again, which spoiler alert, I would, and how this journey was for myself, for my husband, and for our family. Now, I was thinking about the best way to really share this story with you all, my amazing community, and I couldn't have thought of a better way than doing it with Caitlin from the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Now, I found her podcast when I was pregnant, waddling around, trying to get my baby out, doing all the walking, and it was so incredible and informative and insightful and inspiring to me. And it just reminded me of how important influence can be and connection can be, especially on social media. If it wasn't for this incredible podcast platform, I would have never connected with Caitlin. I would have never have known that her podcast existed. I would have never learned about her journey, her expertise, and how she really shows up to support other women. So I reached out to her and asked her if we could kind of combine an interview of sorts. So basically, she's going to be on my podcast today interviewing me, which was, again, unique and different and something I'd never done before. And then she's also going to be airing it on her podcast. So without further ado, I would love to introduce you to Caitlin and to also bring you into my life a little bit more and share this incredible story. So here we go. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist, brand building expert, speaker, and New York Times bestselling publicist. This is where I take you behind the scenes with today's top influencers, industry insiders, and entrepreneurs as they share step-by-step strategies to help you turn your online dreams into a purposeful and profitable business. Hi, Caitlin. Hey, Julie. Thank you. (laughs) So much for having me on. And thank you for having me on. Because <laughs> we are kind of doing this really fun thing. I've never done this before. Um, so I can give a quick little uh, you know, recap. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, Caitlin is um the founder. I, is that what we call ourselves as pad of as podcast host, the host? Yeah. Of host creator. Creator of <laughs> yeah. Of, yes, producer <laughs> of the Happy Home Birth podcast. And I actually found that podcast when just as so many people that are listening who listen to podcasts, you you look for something that you're needing. And so you search it in the iTunes or the Stitcher, wherever you are, and you find it. And I was pregnant and I was about to embark on my first home birth. So I was finding resources in that realm and your podcast came up and it is phenomenal. I love your podcast. I listened to so many episodes when I was pregnant. It made me feel like I was really part of a community of moms and women who understood 
the journey that I was going on and, and just, especially during COVID and, and the pandemic and, and being so isolated as it was, it was so nice to just hear other women share their stories and experiences of a home birth. So when I had my home birth and wanted to share my experience to my community, I, for some reason, I was like, I feel like there's going to be something missing if I try to do this by myself. So I reached out to Caitlin and I said, Hey, do you want to co-create this episode and we can share it on both of our platforms? And she graciously said, yes. So thank you. That's after I got over the fangirl moment, because I actually started listening to your podcast, Julie, when I was creating happy home birth. And so it was really exciting and really full circle when I go on my Instagram and Julie's sending me a voice message asking, (laughs) do you want to do an episode together? Um, excuse me, let me go clear my calendar for the next three weeks and tell you, yes. (laughs) Well, I'm glad it worked out. And and I'm I'm really excited to do this with you because I feel like you you have you're you're such a great interviewer, you're such a great conversationalist, you ask wonderful questions, you listen, which is such an important part of being a great interviewer. Um and yeah, I would love to just get started. It's kind of fun being on this side of it. I know. Isn't it such a strange experience when when the mic gets reversed? <laughs> it is. It is. You're just like, oh, okay, here we go. Well, I'm so excited to to be able to interview you. And I would say that the reason that I, if I come across as a good interviewer, it's just because I love birth stories so much. Like I just cannot get over how incredible women are in every experience of birth. It's just amazing. So I'm so thrilled to discuss this with you. And as we get started, I would love to hear you know, how you made the decision to have a home birth. You told me before we began recording that you had a hospital birth with your first. So what was that like? And I'd love to kind of hear the transition this time around. Yeah. So I had always been very open to natural childbirth because I am one of four. My mom had all of us naturally in a hospital. My grandmother, my dad's mom had nine boys, all natural. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. Um, she actually had her 10th was a girl that was a stillborn. So she had all nine boys naturally. Um, my, my mom's mom also natural. So I, it's kind of all, all that I was ever around growing up. It's all I ever really knew or or heard about, um, is, you know, I was always like scared of needles and the thought of this like massive epidural going into my body and then like not being able to feel my body when to me, childbirth is how do you birth without feeling your body? Like I just, I could never understand that. Right. Which obviously people do it every day because there's so many people who, who do choose the epidural route, which is completely fine for them. But in my headspace, that's kind of where I would always go. And so when I had my first son seven years ago, Camden, I knew that I was going all natural. Um, and we lived in Los Angeles at the time. And so I had him at Cedar Sinai and my mom would always tell me, if you're anything like me, you're going to go really fast. So just keep that in mind. And when I, I got a, it wasn't a doula my first time around. She was more of like a birthing coach. Um, And she kept telling me, she goes, if you want to go natural, you have to transition at home. You have to wait until you transition because if you don't, 
you are going to be screaming for an epidural. Most women are anyway. And transition is kind of that fine little point between labor and then bearing down to push. Right. That's a good um, way to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. You're fully open, but you haven't started pushing yet. Right. Ready. You haven't started. And for some women that can take a while, for some women, women like me, it's like minutes. Um, so with my first son, I did what I was told to do because I am, you know, an A student and that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And um, I completely birthed at home. And then I didn't know, I'd never experienced this, so I didn't know anything. And then I started to feel this like thunderous movement in my body, which I know now is bearing down. I didn't know what that was then. And I was like, I think we need to go to the hospital. So we rushed to the hospital. Thank goodness, Los Angeles traffic. Thank goodness it was like 12 o'clock at night. I started to feel in labor about nine o'clock, had transitioned by midnight. So so you are a fast laborer. Fast labor. And then I was bearing down in the car, got to the hospital. I was 10 plus two centimeters dilated. I pushed for 27 minutes and then he was here. Whoa. So I had a lot of people after the fact say like, why didn't you just do a home birth? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know why I just didn't do a home birth. Um, so that was kind of my journey with 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 the hospital. Um, my hospital experience was was fine be, because I was so fast and I knew I knew um, I had done a lot of research on what my rights were as the mom. So I had basically said no. I wouldn't even let them put an IV in me because I wanted to get out of there as quick as I could. So I I was only there for about a day and a half. Um, but, you know, looking back on the experience and seeing, you know, if my body is able to do that and do that so quickly, why wouldn't I want to be in the comfort of my own home? So, um, that was kind of the, the start of, of, of the, of thinking in that way. That's amazing. So I, one thing I would like to say is I love how, even though, you know, you knew you were going to, well, not even though, especially because you knew you were planning to give birth in the hospital, you were prepared for that. And you knew the educational foundation for such an experience and were able to advocate for yourself. So I think that's fantastic. And I think that's something that anyone can take away from this, you know, whether they want a home birth or a hospital birth, that education piece is so critical. So that's is, awesome. Yeah. And I think it's because, you know, a lot of times, you know, in, in the medical field and, you know, it's like, there's, there's a place for that. I believe in Western medicine. I believe in doctors. I have an uncle who's a doctor. I have, you know, people in my family that are in the medical field, but a lot of times, um, when you're in these situations where the hospitals and the doctors really want to make sure to protect themselves as well, they'll make you feel like you're an insane person with 15 heads. If you, don't follow what is the standardized protocol. And I just kind of had to give that, that like shame mm-hmm. up um, because that really, whatever they were trying to do to kind of protect themselves had nothing to do with me. And I really needed to do what I thought was best for, for me and my baby and our experience. That is also a great point. Just because there is such this feeling of, oh, oh no, am I bucking the system? You know, am I going against what I'm supposed to do? And, and that can feel really uncomfortable. So that ability to prepare yourself for that beforehand and really walk in confident is just huge. Mm -hmm. 
So, okay. So you had your first baby at the hospital, no complications really in that process, right? No, which was, um, you know, which was a, a, such a blessing. Now I will say, you know, cause I, my doula said once she was like, you, you need like, don't tell moms that you had like a great pregnancy and great labor and delivery. Cause they're going to hate you. Like you really <laughs> have to be. <laughs> so I will say I ended up getting mine and my postpartum was extremely hard. Um, but my labor and my delivery was quick. And I, I did tear, I did tear a little bit in the hospital. I did not tear when I had a home birth, which we can talk about, but, um, I did tear a little bit in the hospital, but it was minor, but they did have to use the sutures, which again, when you're, the the healing is so much harder Mm -hmm. with that and, and, you know, not tearing with my home birth versus tearing then I I now kind of have both of those uh, experiences to kind of compare to. But other than that, it, it, it was, it, I was very grateful to have the experience that I had. That's amazing. So as we come to this second birth, you find out you're pregnant. Did you, did you decide beforehand that you were going to have a home birth? Were you looking into it then, or was it a later on in the pregnancy decision? It was later on. So, um, I found out I was pregnant in October, November and, uh, Joy Shaw, who was my doula and is a a dear, uh, friend of mine and kind of just, uh, she's an energy healer and just a great source for a lot of amazing things. I knew I was going to work with Joy and, you know, Joy is a doula for home births as well as hospital births or birthing centers, whatever the mom decides. And she had kind of, I told her about my first experience, um, labor and delivery. And she, you know, said, I, you know, she goes, I had my first child in the hospital and then I had all, she had, has a bunch of girls. She goes, I had all my other girls at home and I would never go to the hospital Mm -hmm. ever again. And she said something to me, which made it, she was like, you know, the hospital is where you're supposed to go when you're sick just because you're pregnant. But the way that the traditional, um, the way that I think American medicine looks at pregnancy is, is a sickness, like even on forms, like, are you, do you have asthma? Do you have cancer? Are you pregnant? (laughs) You know? So it's like, yeah, it's this, it's this, it's the sickness that you have. And so, um, she just said, you know, if, if you're able to do that again, which I mean, if you were able to do it the first time and you come from this lineage of women who have been able to do this, like, you know, I, I would think that you, course it's your decision, but I would really think that you could do this. And she just kind of kept sharing her own experiences and how beautiful it was. Um, but I had decided on a birthing center, mm-hmm. which is actually attached to the hospital. So it would be a OB that would be del- delivering the baby, but it's all natural and they have the tub and all of that. And so felt good about that was moving right along with things. And then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And so February hit, I was due in July and my doctor's they weren't able to see me, you know, they were only doing virtual visits. Um, and, and then you were hearing about all these stories about how women couldn't take their spouses to the hospital to have babies and they could, you know, and it was like all of this really, uh, chaotic energy. And it, it was kind of that idea of like, once, you know, you know, and you can't unknow it. (laughs) And I had this epiphany that I was like, I'm not going to this birthing center. I'm going to have my baby at home. I just, and I, yeah. And I just, I just made that declaration to myself and, and any kind of fear that I would have any of that stuff in which like, this is where I really leaned on your podcast. There was an episode where you were talking to, um, two midwives that talked about 
the complications that can happen at a home birth and really like how complicated is it and what are the stats? Like when I really started doing the research, um, you know, I realized that given the fact that I was having a healthy pregnancy, there were no complications to date. I had actually already done the anatomy test and, and a lot of stuff to even have more knowledge. Um, but I made the decision about 25 weeks, 20, so pretty much halfway in that I was going to have a home birth. And I immediately called joy and I said, okay, we're going to do this at home. I need some midwife recommendations. She recommended me to an incredible midwife. Um, and she even said, she goes, you know, that she's kind of gnarly. And I was like, what do you mean by gnarly? And she goes, in, in the best way, she goes, you know, Cheryl Stafer, who was my midwife, she goes, she, um, she works a lot in the Mennonite and Amish communities. Mm-hmm. So if she can deliver breech twins with no electricity, she's got you. And I was like, that's a really good point. <laughs> My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business for sponsoring the show. So, which is amazing. So um, I I just, I made the decision to, to do it. And of course, my husband, John and I, we talked about it and he felt confident and and trusting what I was feeling to be right for us. And I called my doctor and my OB and she was very gracious and completely understood. And, um, and, and, and that was that with the decision. That's great. I was going to ask what it was like speaking, even just bringing it up to your husband. Was he like, Whoa, this is out of left field or how did that conversation kind of go? I think that if he, I think because he witnessed how I was with the first, he knew he was like, cause we, we labored at home with the first. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I literally went to the doctor. I mean, I, I literally went to the hospital for a doctor to catch my baby. Right. So, I mean, we did a lot of the, a lot of the big work at home. And so I think that since he, he experienced that with me the first time around, you know, he was totally on board. Oh, that's awesome. I do feel like sometimes the, the blockage can come from a spouse who so lovingly is like, Whoa, I don't know about all this. Yeah. And I think he might've even had, he was like, I don't know about all this and we're going to do it. You know, like I think, and I, I even there, I had moments of that, that, you know, I would start to, you know, what if the baby's 10 pounds and I can't get her out? Or what if, you know, just what if I end up getting preeclampsia? What if I end up, and my midwife, and this was the other beautiful thing. I couldn't go see my doctor. So there had been like two months that I hadn't been checked, Mm -hmm. but my midwife, she was doing house calls. 
And so she got to come, she would check me out. She, you know, she had this sonogram on her phone. She goes, if you want to see the baby, like I've got this app, (laughs) it's like a sonogram on her phone. If we wanted to go that route. Um, but it just made it very comforting to have someone come into my home to assess me, to, to measure my stomach, just to make sure that everything was going fine. And, um, and it really just energetically put us in this place of ease and surrender that is so important to be in, to have a baby. And I feel like, uh, unfortunately for so many mothers during this COVID era, that has that ease, that ability to connect and feel at peace about whatever is going to happen has been so strained with the inability to see any care provider. So I am so, so grateful for your story, for your ability to to be able to meet with her. And in regards to that, I'd love to hear your perspective of the difference when you were having, when you were seeing an OB before COVID, you know, what those appointments were like versus when your midwife is coming to your house, which is clearly a difference already. Yeah. I mean, there's a, you know, with my OB, who is also my gynecologist, who has incredible bedside manner and she's thoughtful and she takes time, which is a blessing um, because that's not always the case. You know, there's still, that there's still a system in place, right? Like going to see a doctor, it's it's systematic. Like you go in, you have to sign the forms, you have to wait in here, you did got to go check your weight, pee, blah blah blah. With my midwife, you know, until we were doing like strep B, group B, group B Thank you. With every visit, I didn't have to pee in a cup. With every visit, I didn't. You know, she she would only, and I, I maybe I, every midwife is different, but she would really let she would really let me lead and let my body lead. Whatever my body was telling her needed to happen is, is what she would assess and address. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's vastly different than when you go in and it's, you know, all of the, you know, every single time you're testing this and every single time you're testing that. And even with the glucose test, she goes, you can take the gross sugary drink or you can do a, you can prick your finger and you can do like a little blood test every day. And it's really, she goes, I like, I mean, if you're not terrified of blood or pricking your finger, I like that. A, it's more accurate. And B, you're not downing this gross drink that has a ton of, you know, chemicals and things in it. And I never even knew that existed Mm -hmm. in the traditional system that is, you know, OB work. I've I've never had an OB or gynecologist even tell me that that's an option. And so just being able to do that um, and then, you know, and then the midwife can really assess based off of the feedback that she's getting from my body, what is the next best step for me? And so it made it less evasive, invasive. It made it more intimate. It made it flow. And um, it just brought in this sense of, of calm and I think just reassurance to, again, trusting the process as it unfolds instead of trying to force certain solutions or, or forcing things to be a certain way, because that's what the system tells you that it has to be. That's such a great point. And one of the things that I love about midwifery care is that it's not that, you know, the medical aspect trumps the relationship aspect, you know, it is a marriage of the two. And I think what's so neat is that midwives recognize that the foundation of 
quality medical care, especially in the home birth situation, in the home birth setting, is that relationship piece. And so the fact that you're saying, yeah, she really, you know, was watching my lead. She was following what I needed. And and that is huge. And there's so much safety in that when a midwife and a client understand one another, where she can see your baseline normal. This is what's normal for Julie. This is Julie's body. This is what's normal for normal for Julie's baby, you know, and really assessing each person individually. I think that's so incredible. And one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, she measures your belly every time. Did she palpate your baby? Did she kind of feel around and feel what your baby felt like? Yep. Every time she would feel around, check the anatomy, check the positioning, um, making sure that, you know, she was right. And yeah, and it was all of that. And, you know, with Cheryl, she started in the seventies and she actually worked with a man that was part of the whole Ina Mae Gaskin world out in oh, Southern wow. California. And she's delivered over 10,000 babies at home oh, in her wow. journey. That's a lot of babies. And so I really just, I trusted her experience. Um, she's, she, she is the, if, if you have a breech baby and you want to give birth at home, this is who you call. She's just, that's like her thing. Um, I didn't have a breech baby, but I just, I knew that she, she's really been in a lot of, as my doula said, gnarly experiences. <laughs> um, and you know, she serves a lot of lower income families and a lot of the, as I mentioned, the Mennonites and the Amish communities that, that, you know, they don't go to hospitals, they don't do those things. And so she's seen a lot, she's experienced a lot. And so just really trusting her process. And so when she was feeling around, I might've not exactly known what she was feeling for or what, you know, I could ask anything, but she would do her thing. And she would just say, you know, she, she feels great. You know, I'm guessing this weight, I'm guessing this length. Um, and then from there, she would kind of guesstimate, you know, when she, cause I would ask her, you know, when am I going to be, when is, when is this happening? When's she coming? <laughs> when is she coming? Right. That is so neat. Well, when did she come? How was it towards the end? Yeah. So another thing that was different. So with my first son, I had my membranes sweeped, um, mm-hmm. about 48 hours before the due date. And the doctor said, if this works, you'll be here in the next 20, 24 to 48 hours. If not, then it is what it is. So with my daughter, with the home birth, for some reason, I kept telling myself like she was going to come early or she was going to come right on time because that's what my son did. Even though I kind of manipulated when he came because I had my membrane sweeped, (laughs) wasn't really thinking about it in that way. So she was due on uh, July 15th and that kind of came and went. July 16th, July 17th, July 18th. She was born three days, uh, 40 plus three. Um, but, but during that, those two weeks, you know, the two weeks, kind of like the week before your due date and the week after it's feels like it's two months and little by little, you know, I was walking every day and, you know, and I was just, I was waiting for that, for that feeling of, you know, that every every woman in labor kind of knows that they're having that feeling that things are starting to feel a little bit differently. And it kind of wasn't coming. And I want to say about five days before I went into labor, I lost a little bit of the mucus plug and I was so excited and I was texting her and, and then she came to check me and she didn't actually like to do a lot of cervical checks unless it was necessary or unless I wanted her to do it. Um, and she said, she goes, I mean, I can sweep your membranes. We're just not there yet. And, you know, and she, she ended up checking me at 39 weeks and she said, you know, you're, you're faced about 
60%, but you're dilated at one. Mm-hmm. And then she came the in the the day before I had my my daughter. So 40 plus two days. And she was like, okay, so now you're dilated at about a three or a four and you're faced about about an 80. So I think that you'll probably have the baby in the next 48 hours. And I was like, really? Because I could be dilated at this for days. And she was like, I don't think so. She goes, it's it's getting there. Um, and then lo and behold, the next morning, like the rest of my mucus plug came out. And by noon, I wasn't full-blown. I was starting to get into full-blown labor. Um, and we can talk more about that experience, but then I had her at 5.04. So again, it was very fast. Yes. Yes. And I think it, it sounds like it makes sense. These labors are so fast, especially if you're starting off, you know, before you even go into active labor, you're already sitting pretty at a four. Like that's right. Me, your body's just quietly doing the work beforehand. And I think that that's what, you know, to me, cause, and I hear these stories, you know, so many of my friends are like, you know, I labored for 48 hours. Well, to, to me, from my own experience, when someone says labor, that means I am laying in the bed, my body is convulsive, like you're having the massive contractions. And I didn't realize that my doula was like, well, Julie, you probably were in labor for like a few days before that. It's just that you didn't feel it as much as maybe some other women feel it, or, you know, it's just different strokes. But my idea of labor what that is, is actually active labor. I probably had some inactive labor happening that I just wasn't aware to because I kept waiting for that moment of feeling actively, you know, in the moment of labor, which we all know what that feels like. So. Right. So another question that I had is, did you do anything special to prepare you know, was there any, did you, you know, see a chiropractor? Did you, what kinds of things were you doing as you prepared for this, this baby? Yeah. So I started seeing a chiropractor at 30 weeks. That was something that I also did with my first son. I saw a guy in LA named Elliot Berlin, who is an incredible uh, chiropractor. And he was actually one of the first people when I had my first, he was kind of adjusting me and he was like, why aren't you having a home birth? (laughs) Cause you are just, you're like, you could have a home birth. And I'm like, I don't know. So I knew that that was a right fit for me with the chiropractor. And I started getting adjustments. Um, I started going like once a month and then every other week. And then when I got to 36 weeks, I started going every week. Um, I also did some acupuncture for the mm-hmm. last, uh, three weeks leading up to, um, my, uh, labor and delivery. And then of course, all the things bounced on the ball, spicy food, um, you know, all the different uh, contraptions, evening primrose as I got really close, all the stuff to try to like get her out. But um, the chiropractor work is something and the acupuncture is something that I I truly believe helps put it in motion. For sure. Yes. Acupuncture. I didn't do it with my first pregnancy, but then did with my second. And that helped me throughout the pregnancy. Like any of the complaints that I was experiencing, I'd be like, well, I'll just go see the the acupuncturist. And it was amazing how quickly things would just resolve. So I love hearing that. I know a lot of people don't realize like, that's a great reason to go to the acupuncturist pregnancy. It's great. It helps so it, much. It's amazing. And, and then with the Cairo work, because you really want to make sure that your pelvis is, is aligned and ready to go to make sure that the birth canal can be as 
aligned as it needs to be for the baby to come out as safely as possible. So that was another big thing for me because my my hip would love to go out and I would walk in and I would look slanted. <laughs> like my left side was all the way up and my right side and she, and she would just get that adjustment. But at the time she kept saying, your ligaments are so loose. They're mm. looser than last week. They're looser than last week. It's coming. It's coming. And I just kept making those appointments until she came. And, um, and I really enjoyed, um, working also to, that was another recommendation from my doula, doula joy is working with a community of, of women who really supported natural childbirth and really supported home birth and just really supported the journey of the mom and what the mom needed. That was a big thing that was different, um, too, with my postpartum journey that we can talk about in more detail. Um, but I, I didn't know what, what to ask for and what I needed with my first. And it caused a lot of ex- exhaustion, which, which caused a low production of milk which caused a lot of stress, which then caused a lot of postpartum anxiety, which then caused crying in the shower, thinking that I had ruined my life by wanting to have a child and all of that kind of stuff that can happen. So um, I really tried to be mindful of that through, through this, through this second pregnancy and labor and delivery of really, you know, saying what I needed and like meaning it and, and really owning that and honoring that for myself. Oh, that is so good. And I'm really excited to jump into that postpartum discussion as well, because it's just not talked about enough, just how critical that, that healing is, but also the community aspect. So I love hearing you kind of just created this, this birth community around you that went through your pregnancy. And it sounds like it went into your postpartum as well. Yeah. And it was, you know, with COVID and the pandemic, I mean, there were certain things that had to change up. You know, there was probably like one month that they weren't seeing anyone, but then they started opening it up and we would just wear our masks and do our thing. And then they really just tried to, to be there to support as safely as, as they could. And, and I think that that's, you know, the morning that I, I had my daughter, you know, that's, I could, I was really, I was so in tune to my body at that point. It was like, I knew it. And, um, and my husband was finally like, should I call them? And I'm like, yeah, you need to, I think it's, so. it's happening. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's dive into that. What, what was that morning like? Yeah. So, um, I had remembered feeling a little crampy at night, but I had kind of felt that the last few nights and really kind of that, like I would have these little moments and then I would get excited and then, you know, the contractions would, would go away. So I had a little bit of contractions that morning and, you know, made my breakfast, did a call with some friends, a zoom call with some friends, um, that ended at about 11 and at nine, you know, I remember at nine o'clock, losing some more mucus plug and kind of feeling a little crampy, but I was like, I don't know, could be another false alarm. You know, like I've lost a little bit of it already and nothing's happening. So I went downstairs, made breakfast, did the zoom call that ended at 11. Then at 11, I was like, just feel like I need to lay down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I just went and I laid down and I started to watch some TV. And then within that hour, I, I used the contraction app and I started, and they were coming at like, every 10 minutes and then quickly every seven minutes. And then at about noon, they were starting to come like almost every five minutes. And my husband was like, okay, but like, do you think that I could go to the gym? And I was like, nope. (laughs) 
And I went and like quick workout. Yeah. I was like, no, because he had asked me that earlier in the week. Like I would start to kind of feel stuff. He's like, could I go work out? And I'm like, yeah, you can go work out. Like that's fine. And so he knew when I was like, nope, that, that it was happening. And we had set up, we have our bedroom is upstairs, but we have another bedroom downstairs. And so we set up the birthing pool and everything down in that room And I remember at about 12 o'clock, just, I made a bath for myself and I went in the bath. My mom came and I want to say by like 1245, I, I mean, the contractions were four minutes apart. I mean, it was, it happened that fast just from, you know, about 11 o'clock till probably one o'clock. And, um, and then the, by the time my midwife and my doula got there was probably about 145. And I was already kind of starting to feel the need to bear down. Mm-hmm. So they did some, my doula came with her amazing contra- contraption of oils and massage stuff. And, you know, was just working on my back so beautifully. And my midwife came with her assistant and they finished getting the birthing pool set up. And then I want to say at about, uh, probably from two to four, I was kind of starting to feel the need to push. I got in the birthing pool. And then it was interesting that I started, I had my son on my back, but for some reason I kept telling myself, like, I'm going to try to like squat and like have her in this way. Like I'm going to be on my knees and, and I'm going to have her this way. And I think that there was something in me that was trying to resist because to me, labor is incredibly intense. I mean, it feels like you're being ripped open from the inside out. Like that's how I kind of describe it. (laughs) Right. And they're like, wow. But to me, the, it's, it's the pushing that is, that is harder for me than the, than the labor, than the labor. And I think I was trying to psych myself out because there's that moment that you have to like, there's pushing and then there's that push that gets the baby out. And I, I think I was resisting that. And it actually caused, I think, the pushing t- to go on a little bit longer than, than it did with my son. And Joy, my doula, she could tell I was starting to get exhausted. And we had been pushing and I had been pushing hard for, you know, probably at about 45 minutes at that point. And she was like, how did you have your first? And I was like, I was on my back. She was like, let's turn you over. And so they got me on my back and my husband actually got behind me. I was in the birthing pool and, and put his arms underneath my armpits and kind of held me back. And she was like, okay, so like, this is hard. This is so hard. <laughs> this is hard work and you can do it. And so there were a couple of pushes that like, it was almost there, but like, I, I was just, I knew I was like, I think I was honestly terrified that I was just going to like rip open. Mm-hmm. And even though that's, I think that, you know, your just minds go, you know, it's, it's like, you think all these crazy things, mm-hmm. Labor's but I, it, yes, <laughs> all kinds of euphoric, you know, hormones and endorphins going off. But I knew that that was the thing that I had to do. And so she kept saying like, you know, you just go inward, will it go inward, will it? And so I finally did. And that was that one push that, you know, for me, I was just screaming. (laughs) That's what finally, finally got her out. And so it was, it was really working with the community. It was my mom and my husband and the midwife, her assistant, my doula. So just us in there, Mm -hmm. my sister was outside 
the room kind of helping me with my son. Um, I wanted, I wanted my son's seven. So I wanted to give him the option. And I think that when he started to see a little bit of the blood, he got a little kind of freaked out. And so, yeah, so I kind of let him do what he wanted to do. Um, but that was, that was really the process. And for me, the most important part of the whole journey was my breath that I have really, I have always been very mindful of whether I'm doing Pilates or yoga or working out, or even with my first child to really get connected with my breath. Because what I had somebody tell me once, you can literally breathe a baby out. Like eventual gravity (laughs) and breath is what will just do what it's intended to do. And again, that's why I'm such an advocate for natural childbirth. If, if you can, because you can actually feel your body. You can feel your uterus contracting, contracting, and and you know when you can breathe out and like really get that push going. And I remember for that final push, my midwife, she took her thumb and she pressed it into my perineum. And she said, you feel that? Push into that, push into that, breathe into that. And it was that feeling kind of where to go. I just energetically vortexed everything that I had within me to go to that point, that pressure point that she was touching on. And that's what finally got, um, our daughter, Lily Jo out and she came out with one arm up. So uh-huh. not only was I trying to get the head out within the shoulders, cause she had her, her hand up. So it made it a little bit harder, but I will say I didn't, I didn't, as I mentioned before, I didn't tear at all with this pregnancy. And I really do attribute that to the birthing tub. And to my midwife doing whatever magic she was doing down there to like really make sure that we were open and primed and ready to go. And, and she was out and she had a beautiful little head. I was thinking, I was like, oh, this poor little cone head. <laughs> like I was thinking that, but you know, it, it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't as crazy as I thought it was going to be because the, the pushing started to really exhaust me there towards the end, but we, we made it work. Man, those nuchal hands, when you're, the hand is up by the head, that does, I mean, think about the diameter increase there. When you've got a hand plus a head, that's a massive diameter increase. So it doesn't surprise me that you were having trouble. And it's kind of like, well, I did this before in 27 minutes. Like, why is it taking so long? Right. Why is it taking so long? And still in the grand scheme of things, it, it was probably double the time. So that's still, right. a sh- I guess, a short amount of time to push. But I was like, this is just, this is hard. This is, you know, I'm like getting exhausted. And, and, but my, but Joy was on it, man. She was like, Jonathan, hold her, you know, give her some support and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get it out. But then when, the midwife saw, she was like, well, there you go. That's it. She made you you work for it. You really did. Yeah. I I mean, those, those are tough, but it sounds like, you know, you still, I mean, gosh, you didn't tear, you didn't tear with a nuchal hand there. It's just unbelievable that your ability to find the right position, to have that support and, uh, you know, to energetically, like you said, just like put all of this power towards this one area and look what happened. Like a beautiful mm-hmm. baby is born and no tearing. That's huge. It was, yeah, it was great. And we got to, you know, stay in the birthing tub for a little while to just, you know, enjoy the moments. And then, you know, of course she got a 
birth the placenta out and get that all situated. If you, if you choose to do something with it or not, get all that situated. And we actually did cord blood banking this time around, which I'd never done before. So there was some stuff that the midwife had to do with that, but it was, it was such a relief to be able to get out of that tub with support, take a bath, shower immediately, whatever I wanted to do, get in the bed and just lay there with my baby. And, you know, she's not being whisked away anywhere. I'm not being whisked away anywhere. I'm not being doped up on medication. And it was just, it was really, it was just nice because you're exhausted at that point, you know, and you're in your, you can't really go to sleep yet because you got to start breastfeeding and get that colostrum going and all of that kind of stuff. But it was just nice to have the support. And my doula went into my kitchen and she made me this amazing smoothie and like brought it to me. And it was just, it was, it was magical. And I think it's a lot of times you hear people, oh, a magical late, like how could that be magical? It's so painful. Like, yeah, it's painful, but it was really as, as beautiful as an experience as I think it should be. And as it could be just having that, that comfort and that support and that safety in, in my home and just having, and also me giving it over and letting people take care of me and letting the process unfold as, as it, as it did, um, was an amazing experience. So I, I felt very, I, I'm now one of those people that if I were to ever have any other kids, I'm like, why would I go to a hospital? <laughs> just have oh. them in my bedroom. Right. And I, I'd love to hear about that. You know, I know that moms, I, I've spoken to so many moms who have had medicated births and, and I mean, relatively fine experiences even then had their baby and then given birth at home. And they've talked about that difference in experience with oxytocin and with bonding. And I'd love to hear your experience because you still had a natural childbirth in the hospital, but was there any difference that you noticed bonding wise initially with being at home versus the hospital? Yeah. You know, I remember with my son, I mean, and even though I had just, it was a personal decision that we had to to decline. We didn't do vaccines at the hospital that time. We, I mean, we didn't do the eye drops. We declined it all, which was also at at our home home birth. We didn't do any of that as well, but they still kind of immediately whisked him away to do the testing, the hearing. I, you know, my midwife actually came back they did some things initially, obviously, to make sure she was okay and we weighed her. But my midwife actually came back the next day to do some additional stuff to really give us that time to bond. And so I thought that that was was really special that they just they uh, they did what what they needed to do to make sure that everyone was okay and safe. And then they kind of got out of the way and they were like, "We'll be back, you know, tomorrow to check on things." And um, not only did it allow me to bond more, but I saw a really big difference in for my husband and my daughter, because when I, after I held her in the birthing tub for a little bit, and then I had to birth the placenta and and like get up and kind of take care of myself, they gave my daughter to him. And he just sat there in a chair for probably about 30 minutes and just got to skin to skin and just got to connect with her and be with her and look in her eyes and just have that moment. And um, and they, they have this really beautiful bond. And I really do think it's because they had, they got that time together in the very beginning for her to, you know, smell him and feel him and, 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 and soak all that in. So I thought that that was really 
neat. And that was a difference. That, that is beautiful to hear. And that is important for people to realize, you know, we talk about skin to skin for mom and baby and how important it is. It's, it's critical. Like, I mean, if, as long as it can be done, as long as there's not a medical emergency, it's so important. You know, research just indicates that again and again, but the same is true for dad and baby. And it's now recommended that within the first 24 hours, dad gets at least 30 minutes of skin to skin contact with the baby because it rewires his brain too. So all of these brains are just being rewired and just so intimately connected, intertwined. So I'm, I'm so glad that he got that and that you're able to share that experience. Yeah, it was really beautiful. And and it was great to have my mom there. You know, that was one thing. She was not there for the birth of my son because she I she lives in Tennessee and we lived in Los Angeles at the time. And so she was like eight hours too late. She got on that first flight. She was trying to time it. But um, so she missed that. And and it it was really beautiful to have her there and for her to even see this experience because she had had, as I mentioned myself and my three siblings naturally, but she had done it in a hospital. And actually with her, my, my brother, her last child, she had to get Pitocin, Mm. but then she didn't get, um, the epidural. And she said that your contractions are like 10 times more intense when they give you the Pitocin. So she was like, I was like crawling on, like, I mean, it was, I was running the walls. It was, it was crazy. So for her to see, so I think she was a little weary of the home birth experience. There was something in her that she was scared about, but I just remember telling her, I was like, mom, this is, this is how people gave birth for centuries (laughs) up until, you know, the 1960s, maybe like it's, you know, this is, this is how people gave birth for a really long time. So, you know, it's, it's important to remember that and trust that, that, you know, it, if it can be done, because I know that there are, of, co- of course, situations and circumstances out there that may not allow for this, and I totally understand that. But if it can be done, and it's something that women feel passionate about and, and want to explore, they should be given the space and the opportunity to do so. Right. I, I definitely think that more women would be choosing home birth if they knew, number one, that it existed. <laughs> Number two, that it was safe. And so to be able to hear other people coming out and saying, hey, I did it and I would do it again a thousand times over. Not that I want a thousand children, (laughs) but it's it's really amazing to hear that. I would love to hear um, what this postpartum experience was for you too. You said that it was very different from your first. How how so? Yeah. So with my first, as I mentioned, I my husband and I were living in Los Angeles at the time. We didn't have any family there. My mom, she was trying to time out when she came because she could only come for two weeks and she wanted to really be there for me with the baby as long as she could. And so, you know, it was hard to have her there. The other thing that I didn't think about um, that kind of due to the pandemic, but then also kind of creating better boundaries for myself that I did this time around is that I didn't realize that you should have things like visiting hours Mm. and that, you know, since we lived in LA by ourselves, everyone that was coming to visit were staying with us. And so I had my in-laws staying there, my sister-in-law staying there, my mom staying there and my sister staying there. And we did not have the space for that. They actually had to, they ended up, my mom was like, we need to go get a hotel and like give them 
space and time to bond Mm -hmm. because we literally had, we, you know, in, had all these people on top of us in this tiny house in Los Angeles with no space. And I remember, you know, having to like stop trying to figure out how to breastfeed because, you know, a family member wanted to go get lunch and like, didn't know where the car keys were or that, you know, there was just a lot of things that knowing what I know now, I should have said, I would love for everyone to come, but they have to stay in a hotel and they can't get here at six o'clock in the morning and leave at 11 o'clock at night. Like we have to have visiting hours. Um, and so really declaring that this time around was huge because that sent me in, in a spiral. And then also I was exhausted and I couldn't nap. Just, I would try to nap when the baby napped and I couldn't nap and I was anxious and which is probably why I couldn't nap. And I was, I was probably just overtired, over exhausted. And then that just compounded. And I also come, you know, from a very large family, but, you know, I have family members that are like, well, I had 15,000 kids and never had a nanny or I had this. And, and I'm like, yeah, but you also didn't work. You lived next door to your sister across the street from your mom. It was a different time. And so I was going into having my first child with thinking I didn't need help that I could just do it by myself because that's what everybody, every aunt, cousin, sister-in-law, mom that I know and have, that's how they did it. And my husband had to go away for work at about when our son was about four weeks and he was gone for nine weeks. So I was literally at home with a baby by myself for nine weeks. And I pretty much went like crazy. I mean, who wouldn't go crazy? Yeah. And um, I want to say probably half halfway, about four and a half weeks after my, my husband was gone, I ended up, I was, thank goodness, part of this new mommy and me group in Los Angeles. And we would meet every Tuesdays at the pump station in Hollywood. And I started meeting these other moms that started talking about these night nurses. And I was like, what is a night nurse? And they were like, well, it's this neonatal nurse that comes to your house and stays up at night so you can sleep. And I was like, sold. And they were like, it's insanely expensive. But if you can afford it, it is the best money that you will ever spend, um, especially if you don't have help. So I was able to have a night nurse come two nights a week, which mm-hmm. then I was able to get some sleep. And then by the time my husband came home, he said like he walked in the door and it looked like I was poltergeist. He was like, what, <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. He was like, we need to get you some help. And so we ended up getting a nanny who ended up being with us for six years, oh. who became you know, part of the family. And so looking back on it, you know, I think every woman is different. I I actually have friends that don't have nannies and don't have night nurses and they're able to do it. And it's amazing. I'm just not, I'm not built that way. I have to have help. I have to have support. I can't, I I can't do it. and, And I don't have the capacity for that. And so just understanding that about myself and not feeling shame for needing help or for getting a nanny, like not feeling shame for not being like my aunts or my cousins who could have six kids and not need all of that. Um, giving that over was really helpful. And so this time around, I had a lot more plan and preparation. And the other thing that I did this time around, which is so remarkable, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Now there is a, a chef named Courtney that is a specifically a postpartum chef and oh, wow. she will 
cook. Yes. She has a company called Pour La Mer, which means for the mother in, in French. And for the first 40 days of your postpartum, she will cook you Ayurvedic foods that are specially meant to help you heal, to help you produce rich milk, to help your hormones get leveled, all of this amazing stuff. And she only does it for moms 40 days for that 40 day journey. So I also, um, immediately got hurt when I found out that she existed because one of the other things that happened my first time around is I wasn't eating correctly. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't producing enough milk and my child was always starving, but I didn't know that he was always starving because I had never had a child before. So I just thought that they cried all day. I thought that that was normal. Mm -hmm. So those are all the different things that I really tried to put in place to do. And, um, if you, can't afford a chef or you don't have one in your area that does that. There's a cookbook that, um, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a cookbook. Yes. The first 40 days. And so Courtney actually, she, she's, she's taken some of those recipes. And then of course she has her own, but she was actually telling me about that cookbook that, um, you could get that and you could have, you could cook it for yourself. If you don't have time, you could try to find somebody just, even if it's just one meal a day, just whatever you can do for yourself to make that postpartum journey um, at least for me as, as, um, healthy as it could be was really important to me. Absolutely. And, and once again, we kind of go back to that community aspect and I always try to remind myself because I feel like I've, (laughs) I find myself really resonating with what you're saying there, Julie, of like other people are doing it. Other people are juggling all of this and they're doing it just fine. And Mm -hmm. I can't do that. But when we think back, to the way traditionally life just was. There were aunts and mothers and sisters all around us for birth, for postpartum, and that ability to, okay, kids, go on for a little bit and get a nap, you know, or do what needs to be done. That was kind of just built into the fabric. And now, now where society is, is we're just so much more isolated and siloed. And then add add the pandemic on top of that. And it's just it's crazy. So the fact that you took time in pregnancy to really get prepared for that postpartum and you understood this is vital to me, this is vital to my health and therefore vital to my baby's health. So I am going to put these things in place for our success. Um, I think that's huge. And I think that whether, you know, you have family around you and you can do it that way, whether you need to hire people to help you, having hands and having someone to help you is just vital. And you, you shouldn't be doing it alone. I mean, it just, it breaks my heart because I was right there. My first postpartum, I had severe postpartum anxiety. And then I realized, wow, I guess I didn't take care of myself. So once again, second time around, it was like, nope, we are doing this the right way. We're going to have a community. We're going to have a group around me to make sure that this goes off better. Um, so hearing that from you is just so inspiring. Yeah. And I think that it's important too, or at least I can only pull from my own experience is that you, you know, I, I could no longer try to compare my experience to someone else's or try to expect things to go the same way, because I think that, you know, expectations are just premeditated resentments. Right. And so it's like, if I expected to do it all on my own and then I couldn't, then I'm going to get really resentful, you know, towards myself, towards my baby, towards my spouse, towards the world. Um, just like, you know, for someone else who maybe 
you know, they don't, they don't have anyone to cook meals for them. They could get really resentful for the people that do. Well, it's like, you, you have to really focus in on, you know, what is manageable for you just for today? What is most important for you just for today? And so for me, that was, I got to make sure that I have food. You know, my husband doesn't cook. (laughs) I'm not going to be able to cook. Uh, I got to have food and I got to get sleep. So, you know, those were the, were the two primary things that I made sure that I, you know, outreached for, for support and, and, and really had in my arsenal. And, and I didn't expect anything else. And I didn't try to compare my journey or what I needed to somebody else's needs. Because again, you know, there's other people out there that it's, you know, their, their situation may be different and they're, they're able to kind of make it work in their own way, in a way that I'm not going to be able to make it work. So it's, it's getting, it's, it's getting really clear about what you may think is a privilege for someone else, maybe just something that they essentially need in order to survive. Um, and so it's, it's getting clear on that for you. Like, what is it that, that you really need to do and, and seek whatever help that you can, whether that's paying for it or asking family members to come over or friends to come over or what, whatever that is. Um, cause to me, you know, sanity is not a privilege. <laughs> it's, right. it's, it's a, you know, it should be something that, that we, that we can figure out, especially right. when we're trying to keep a baby alive. Exactly. <laughs> they need us sane <laughs> mm-hmm. as much as possible. They need right. us and fed as much as possible and rested as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, so Julie, as we wrap up this story, I would love to know, you know, is there anything that maybe some misconceptions that you had previously about home birth or what could your listeners be thinking right now as they're hearing your story that, you know, if they hadn't been exposed to this idea before that you could kind of shed some light on for them? Yeah, you know, I think that you know, I would have, I probably, I had probably some fears that if something went wrong, we're not going to be able to do anything about it. And then every mother's worst nightmare happens, right? You lose your child. Um, and from what my midwife, you know, reassured me about when we had those conversations and she was just so like calm about everything. She was like, if this happens, then I'm going to be able to do this, this, and this. And then if that doesn't work, then we're going to call an ambulance. We're going to get you to the hospital. Right. And it was just that, like that simple. And, and also getting really clear. And I learned this from her, um, you know, the misconception that one size fits all, um, do your research on the midwives that you choose, um, to work with, because there are some that, you know, let's say that you do end up having a breech baby, that may not be something that they do, you know, that they don't sign up for that and that's okay. They have other specialties and techniques, but really finding somebody that based off of your needs or any kind of concerns or challenges you may think that you could have, or you do have really talking through those with your potential midwives and, and doing the research in that way, um, really helped me. And then I think the last thing was that, um, it's, it wasn't really a misconception, but I didn't really, I didn't re- even though I was told this, I didn't realize how easier the healing process was by having a home birth. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that was for me. That's my own experience. Maybe that's not everybody's experience, but you know, I was out of the diapers by day four. I was done with my pads two weeks in, yeah. um, 
I didn't tear as we talked about. Um, my milk came in faster and you know, I don't know if all of this was because I had a home birth, but that is the one thing that was different this time around. And so just the whole, and, and again, that's another part of the postpartum journey that was so hard for me the last time. So that was something that I was not prepared for at all and was such a blessing to be able to experience this time around. That is so incredible and just so exciting to hear your story. And I know that your listeners have got to be so thrilled because it's, it's different. You know, home birth is very niche. (laughs) It's what less than 2% of, or 2% of births are outside of the hospital. And it's about 1% that are actually at home. So it's, it's a small group of people, but like I said, I feel like the more that people know about it and understand the safety, the more that they're will be interest in it. Yeah. And that's what I would encourage those listening that, you know, it's not for everybody, but if it is for you and if you are in a place that you're, that medically it's safe for you and, and, and you can do it and you're, and you're curious about it, I would encourage you to stay curious about it. You know, instead of that idea of like, I can't do this because I'm, I'm scared. It's kind of like, well, if I did this, what would it look like? How mm-hmm. could I do this? Who do I need around me to support me in making sure that we can do this healthy and safely? Um, And then, of course, for me, it was just really tapping into the history of of labor and delivery and like, oh, right, like this is how most people that have ever been on this planet (laughs) were born. And so really remembering that gave me this the strength that was greater than myself. That is, that is such a great way, a, such a great reminder that, that this was, this is just the way that it has been. And, and birth generally typically works. And of course there are times when things go awry and thank goodness for the hospital, thank goodness for the ability to have a cesarean section when necessary mm-hmm. and to have interventions. But like we said, you know, 90% of moms are considered low risk and that is who home birth is safe for. So, so 90% at least, you know, is, are safe generally for home birth. And then of course your midwife is checking for red flags and you will determine, or she will determine with you, you know, if that goes out of the realm of normal, then, then it would be a great time for hospital consideration. But, you know, um, a massive amount of us are safe for home birth. It's just unlearning the fear that we, you know, are just inundated with through society, just through the way that our culture is right now in the United States and being willing to take that empowered responsibility and know what our choices are and then make the choices that are best for our family. Yeah, agreed. Oh, well, Julie, thank you so much for letting me come on your show and thank you for coming on mine. I do, if you don't mind, I'd love to just let your listeners know that if they're interested in more home birth information, come on over to Happy Home Birth. I do have a childbirth education program for home birth mothers. If you're looking for um, just like kind of a brief synopsis, you can go to myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash checklist, and that'll give you just a free uh, checklist for what you would need to have a happy home birth. 
And tell me more about that program. Sorry. I just, I can't help myself yeah, with like, yeah. I'm like, Oh, tell me about that. Yeah. So I actually just launched it for the first time. The doors, as we're, as we're recording this, the doors are closed, but they're opening back up again very soon. Um, so it is a full complete childbirth education program geared specifically towards childbirth childbirth at home. So there are eight modules. It talks all about, we go, we go deep. We have eight phases of preparation, prepare your mind. We prepare techniques. So we talk about, you know, the breathing and the relaxation. We discuss food. We talk about prenatal activity, and then we just really get into what actually happens when you're giving birth. What is normal? What's going to happen at home? How do we prepare our heart and our home? And then uh, we prepare for postpartum, which as we discussed is so vitally important. And a new module that I've added is prepare your partner, which mm. I just realized it's so important for this to be a team event, you know, to both go in together, trying to strengthen and build the relationship. And that is so possible through home birth. So really working together. Um, I'm super excited about it. And I, I've gotten some some great feedback from some midwives and then my newest students who have gone through the program. So I would love to have you guys check it out. That's amazing. You know, what I love about online programs is that I don't I feel like when you when you go and seek something out and it doesn't exist, you tend to create it yourself. <laughs> and you know, I have not seen anything on the market that is like this. I mean, all the all the research that I had to do on home birthing was just Google rabbit holes and listening to your podcast and talking to my doula and, and things like that. But to have a one-stop shop where it's completely done for you, that you can go through the modules, that you can go at your own pace. So, I mean, if you're pregnant for nine months, <laughs> you got you got some time to kind of dive into it. Um, I really love that that's available. So thank you so much for sharing that with my community. And, um, and I'm, I'm really excited for that. It sounds amazing. Well, thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for letting me come on and, and interview you. And as always, if you liked today's episode, if you have your own birthing story, whether it's at home or in a hospital or whatever your experience is, because all of our experiences are so special and are so unique to us, we would love to hear that. We would love to hear your thoughts and your feedback. So of course, you can screenshot this episode. You can tag me at Jill Solomon and then tag the Happy Home Birth. Is it Happy Home Birth or Happy Home Birth Podcast? Yep. It's just Happy Home Birth Podcast on Instagram. Awesome. At Happy Home Birth Podcast and let us know what your biggest take takeaways were. Maybe you were able to overcome some misconceptions or misbeliefs or fears that you had about a home birth. Um, maybe you have an experience that you want to share. We would love to not only hear about your feedback, but then share those um, on our stories too. So thank you so much guys for listening. And um, thank you for holding such beautiful space and letting me share this. Um, and get a little bit more vulnerable and open about more of my private life, which I don't tend to do so much, especially on this podcast. So I hope it does influence some of you out there to share more because that's where connection and community thrives. So thank you so much, Caitlin. Thanks, Julie. All right. That is it for today. Now, as you know, some of our best conversations actually happen after the show. So I want you to find me on Instagram, head on over to our Facebook group at the influencer podcast, and let me know your thoughts about today's show. All right. I will see you again. Same time, same place next week. <laughs>